Uh, right now, though, we're going to have a conversation about China and um, maybe some change afoot there. China, we know it's an economic superpower, right? Without a doubt. We know that. We know how dependent Canada is on it. Um, they're also a geopolitical superpower and all kind of influence there. Now there's some question about where the priority might lie. Is it changing? Um, last month's National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party has analysts um, looking at, you know, maybe we're seeing a change in direction here. So to find out what we're looking at, we're going to chat with Charles Burton, who is a senior fellow at the McDonald laurie Institute in Ottawa and a non-resident senior fellow of the European Value Centre for Security Policy in Prague. He served as a diplomat at Canada's embassy in Beijing. He's joined us before. Uh, Charles, thanks for uh, coming back. We appreciate your time. Good to speak with you, Shay. Okay, so I guess the big question here following the Congress is, uh, it all surrounds the Chinese economy, right, and the way they reported, the way they talked about how things are going economically in that country. Or the way they didn't uh, talk right, about yeah. how things are going economically. You know, they it's sort of an extraordinary move. The Chinese government has refused to uh, release its economic data with regard to GDP growth and other statistics, which, you know, every major country of the world comes forward with statistics that allow um, forward planning for business and so on, risk assessment and everything else. Uh you know, China canceled its statement, and we don't know why. I mean, their their stats are never reliable, right? But, but you know, at least it gives us some basis to work with. And basically, they're turning their economy into a black box for us. And, um, this is very worrying. But you know, really, the thing is with their zero COVID policy, where we're looking at like three hundred million. Uh, Chinese people currently basically under house arrest um, with food being sent in uh, to to prevent the spread of the disease. You know, every time there's like a single case, then they close down a whole apartment building kind of thing. And we have now a situation of the of the Foxconn plant that is currently producing the new uh, Apple iPhone 14 having to, to stop operations because some of their workers have got... Uh, COVID and mm-hmm. it's a 200,000 person operation and the workers are scattering, you know, to after being in prison for quite some time, they're scattering. And then we have, um, you know, a, a crisis in their housing sector where a lot of people have uh, put, paid full price for, for apartments in advance and uh, the, the construction companies are defaulting. And, you know, as a result of both those factors, you're looking at like 20% unemployment among young people. So this idea that the Chinese economy is, you know, just going to rise and rise and rise and that they'll, they'll get into compliance with global markets and, you know, we'll, we'll see China becoming the dominant economic power on the planet, exceeding the United States, seems to be showing some fraying. And the Chinese government is putting a very strong emphasis since this most recent Communist Party Congress on security and defense expenditure, but they don't seem to be um, as concerned about the basic human needs of people in China. Um, tell us about that shift in, in emphasis onto security, because we know that that's something that obviously there's a number of issues surrounding China, you know, with, with Taiwan. We're seeing what, you know, they were saying about Australia and the United States last week. So there's a number of issues. What did they signal at the Congress that shows maybe they're taking this as uh, being the new priority number one? 
Well, the Congress certainly had the word security, you know, about 70 times in Mr. Xi's opening speech. Um, and the concept of security has been considerably expanded. So they regard Internet censorship as a security factor. They regard, you know, domestic uh, facial recognition cameras, um, software on, on phones that, that identify um, people wherever they are, uh, in addition to your more traditional security, which is, uh, of course, military, and China is upping its um, its commitment to acquire foreign technologies to feed their their desire to become the dominant uh, technological power on the planet as well. So, you know, we're going to see, I think, on the one hand, more harassment of Canadians in Canada by the Chinese regime, you know, Tibetans, Uyghurs, and others who challenge the the regime. And I think we're going to, by, by the speech, it's pretty clear that they're going to up their program of cyber espionage and attempting to obtain Canadian technologies through our universities and think tanks. And then, you know, the, the fact that we're not doing anything about it does sort of embolden them to do more. Right. But a lot of the economy is going into this kind of stuff and not into, you know, social welfare and uh, and um, uh, allowing um, more entrepreneurship and, you know, those things in a, in a market economy which allow for growth. We're really going back to much more state control of everything under Mr. Xi, who, you know, doesn't seem to want to share power with anybody and wants absolute control over everybody in China and a desire to make China into this dominant hegemon by the year 2050. Not necessarily likely to happen. I probably won't be around to see it, but, you know, that's the direction that their expenditures are going, military and security. What does that mean for Canada and for the rest of the world? We know when you're a superpower economically the way China is, something like this is going to change fundamentally the way things operate. What What are the risks that this exposes? Enormous risks for us. And, you know, the Canadian government doesn't seem to be with the program yet. You have the Australians, the UK, the US forming a security alliance in the Indo-Pacific. You've got the Quad, Japan, India, Australia, US, uh, a similar military alliance. Um, You know, we're doing a lot more with uh, the, uh, the US is doing a lot more with Japan and South Korea, all of it designed to try and get China to understand that you know they have to to respect the equal sovereignty of states and not expand their their influence and territory unfortunately canada is lagging behind europe australia uk us in this regard on sunday our minister of foreign affairs uh, melanie jolie gave a speech uh, gave an interview mm-hmm. and she was asked about her, the upcoming indo-pacific policy and spoke for about five paragraphs without mentioning china and of course the host of the interviewer said like you just talked about indo-pacific <laughs> and you didn't mention china and she said well you know we have to keep engaging them and we'll try and diversify to other countries on the other hand Minister Champagne um, and Minister Freeland have made statements in the United States saying that we um, want to have an Indo-Pacific strategic dialogue with the states and we need to do more friend-shoring and secure supply chains against China. So we seem to be getting a mixed signal, one which says we're going to do lots of good things on the one hand, and on the other, from the people that really count, our foreign minister and prime minister, we seem to be getting the, you know, important that we not damage our relationship with China by doing anything that the Chinese government would see as as uh, unfriendly or collaborating with other countries to try and bring China into compliance with 
you know, expectations of diplomacy and trade norms. Right. Yeah. And it's kind of, it, you, you make a great point because I mean, I mean, I'm no foreign policy expert by any stretch of the imagination, but you and I have talked about this enough times over the past several months to recognize what's going on. And so many other people haven't. It just seems like the government just continues to operate. Uh, I mean, maybe there's things happening we don't know about, but it seems like we, the, the warning signs are all there. We need to do something about this. Yeah, I mean, the consensus is there. The public opinion is there. Yeah. Ordinary MPs are there. Uh, you know, the, Can- the Commons Committee on Canada-China Relations has got this point very clear. It just doesn't seem to have penetrated to the areas of, of government <laughs> that actually decide what we do. It's crazy, yeah. Uh, Charles, thank you so much for your time. As always, I appreciate you being here, and uh, we'll have this conversation again. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.